0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Spread Podcast. I was going to say the Spread Festival, but it's the podcast, and we haven't been here for so long. So it's such an honor for me to be back, and especially with today's episode, where I recorded all of the panels from our Sexual Utopia Festival. The theme of the festival this year was Sexual Utopia Here, Now, and Beyond. Bye, 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 bye. This year, we invite you to imagine and co-create with us a utopia made out of your most pleasurable fantasies. We invite you to imagine the desires that make you feel safe, happy, and free. In this panel, some of the questions we set to answer were What are the moments of sexual utopia that exist in the here and now? Are they opposed to cis-heteropatriarchy framings of love, sex, pleasure and intimacy? And what changes do we need to start making now to achieve the world that we want? Join Nana Dakwo, our host, as she speaks to Olutumayan, mary Lee's Nana Kusi and fellow Jean for some mind-blowing facts and opinions in today's episode of The Spread Podcast.
1: Yeah, I want to tell you things that I
2: Start with, with my dear sister, Nana Kosia. She's actually been part of the working group for this festival, co directing the festival. But with Adventures Live, she's actually been creating our festivals in Ghana, co creating our festivals in Ghana for the past three years. And so, Nana Kosia, what does sexual utopia here, now, and beyond mean to you? Kick us off. Ah, uh, thank
3: you. Um, so, Adventures has always tried to focus on the pleasure, you know. Um, there, there is obviously the, the importance of the violence and all the other issues that come with it, but also the, the escape, the solution, a lot of the times, it's also us finding our pleasure. So, Sexual Utopia here, now, and beyond was continuing the work that Adventures had started, you know, has started for the many years they've been in existence, about 10 to 15 years, right? 12 years, right? Um, in existence. And this year, we wanted to reimagine um, what our sexual utopia would be like. And obviously, everyone's sexual utopia is individual, is personal to you. Um, here, now, um, when we are talking about the here, now part of the theme, we are worried about, um, or at least uh, as a working group, thinking about the issues that are happening. In Ghana, for instance, there's an anti-LGBT bill um, that's currently in parliament. Um, they are trying to criminalize even... Um, um um sympathy you know um for the lgbt plus community in ghana they are trying to criminalize all sorts of things and by this year if this bill passes um a lot of us would be criminals um, by the bill um, and I mean it's just not in Ghana it's also in the, the rest of Africa so looking at the repressive government how do we then um, as queer folk, as, as lovers of love, how do we create a utopia in the here now in spite of you know, and so that's what um, the, the theme is about. That's what the work is. And we advise all of us, that, you know, um, let's be a part of it. Um, creating your own utopia, we're not giving it to you, but we hope that the conversations would make you, would ginger you to think of what your utopia is like and how you can create it for yourself in the here and now. Um, and beyond, obviously we are looking at, what we're looking at beyond, um, the dream, the futuristic, the spiritual, you know, uh, African time is never linear and and it's usually circular. So when we are talking about the here and now, the beyond is also happening now, you know, as we are fighting for freedoms in the same time, we are creating a paradise in the here and in the now. So beyond we are looking at even tech, you know, sex tech. What does that look like? How does that solve problems? Um, I can give an example with, um, Um, Covid. When COVID hit, there was something that happened. I just really started craving kissing. Like, I just really, I didn't really appreciate it before. Well, I I always loved kissing. But when COVID hit, I realized, hey, kissing? Oh, my goodness. Yes. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Like that alone you know um i'm someone who used to like if if you don't ki- if we're dating and you don't kiss me well just understand i'll find someone else to kiss because that was necessary you know and now i realized like during covid i couldn't so it was a lot of time you know um exploring erotica um during that time seeing how people wrote about it seeing how people depicted it in illustration. And, and for me, it was, it, was, it was my healing, you know. Um, for, for a time, I couldn't get it. So, in, in a brief, sex, uh, sexual utopia
2: here now and beyond, this is what we are, we're trying to do with the theme, in a brief. Thank you. Thank you. And I was just going to let you all know that the way I tend to facilitate conversations is I like to involve everybody, okay? So there's going to be a round of questions that each panelist is going to answer, and then I want to open this up to be interactive. So I'm going to come to you and the audience to take your questions, to take your comments as well. So just start making a mental note of anything you want to contribute to this conversation. And I'm going to go next to somebody that I like to describe as one of my favorite little sisters. (laughs) Timber Yen! And I think, you know, we live in very difficult, repressive contexts, especially where sex and sexuality is concerned. And at the same time, we know it is political to focus on our pleasure. So what I want to, I guess, hear some thinking from you about is, how can we co-create sexual utopias in the here and now? And how can one do that in a difficult, repressive context? If there are personal experiences you'd like to share, we would like to hear them.
4: (laughs) Okay. Hello, everyone. Hello in particular to the person who screamed when she heard my name. I see you, boo. (laughs) Um, So to follow on from what Nana Kosia said and to answer your question louder. louder, Okay. Uh, I think that we can live, we can hold two truths at the same time. The first truth is that we belong to ourselves. And the second truth is that we live in a world that is constantly trying to capture us. And this world has been trying to capture us for, what, 500 years, right? And they succeeded in capturing us materially, physically for some time, and now the, now the work is to capture our minds, to capture our relationships, to capture our imagination, to to subject us to fear so that we do not realize that we still belong to ourselves. Um, So I think a key ingredient for building utopia here and now is to hold the second truth in the back of your mind and the first in the front. I belong to myself. And then to identify those people who understand that first truth and to be in community with them and tell them the truth of yourself. Tell them the truth of your desires. Tell them the truth of your fear, even. And trust that the space that you create within that sharing, within that vulnerability, within that honesty, will bear fruit that allows you to express, to seek pleasure, to embody joy. Um, and it creates a ripple effect, right? So a personal story. I'm an out, queer, married, lesbian mother living in Lagos, Nigeria, where there is a 14-year sentence for half that shit. <laughs> the other half society is just like, the fuck is that? Yeah. Um, and Nigeria said, fuck you, and I said, fuck you back, <laughs> basically, because the, the laws exist to remind us that we are subject to the state, And I've decided that I exist to remind the state that I am not subject. You have to catch me first. (laughs) And to quote Bob Risky, you have to see me to catch (laughs) me. (laughs) Do you understand? So I go only where I am loved. Only. Only. No exceptions whatsoever. I go only where I'm loved. I go only where people have capacity to hold me. I go only where people understand that I, I am living my life within this context that is hungry for my capture and these people put things in place to make sure i am safe right and within that safety there is such expansiveness because when you are surrounded by love it protects you it looks out for you it identifies threats sometimes before you even see them right but to be able to to live in this love to live in this safety you have to tell the truth and it's very scary to reach that place when you've been conditioned from the moment you could have a thought of your own to reject yourself, to loathe yourself, to, to you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to get past the self-hatred. It's something else to get past the fear, to get to the love. But I promise the love is there. And when you reach that love, the person that you can become in that space is the utopia that you deserve, right? Right? Yeah. I love it. I
2: love it. And I'm like, what shifts? And this is a question to you all. What shifts when you say to yourself, I belong to me first? That is so powerful. And, and what also shifts when you only go to places that you're loved? I just want to assure everybody here that you're here because you're loved, right? Here is a space of love. We have the love all around. And we're here because we want to share love together. Thank you to me. And that's really, really powerful. I'm going to come to (laughs) you, Mary-Lise. Mary-Lise, one of the ways in which you describe yourself is as an angry feminist. And I actually think anger is a really important emotion that sometimes we don't value enough, right? And so my question to you is, how has your anger pushed you when it comes to work around sex, sexualities, and pleasure?
5: My name is Mary-Lise, as you heard. Anger, I think there's almost close to none or rather no rooms that can accommodate people who are angry, especially because we live in a society that programs people to think anger is destructive, and it could be, and who's to say it's not justified because if a person is destroying because of anger, I may not know what they're feeling because I'm not them, right? But my perspective of anger has always been ever since I was born. Like everything, every part of my life. And all these things I had to conceptualize when I was older. But looking back, everything that happened came from a point of kind of pushing me towards that anger. Because why then should there be, and I'm sure a a big population of people who are here, uh, you know, women non-binary people, people in feminine bodies and all that. And we know how in the African context, I don't want to say global because I don't care about what the, the global North does about themselves, but uh, the global South and how our bodies, like she graciously put it out there. People, they, there has been intentions to capture us all our lives, right? and truly so we are all products of patriarchy products of misogyny everything that we we have known all our lives informs the bullshit that is about to be our humanity right and and that alone is very angering because then there's a whole human being behind all these concepts that have been sold about for example being a woman because i always look back and i'm like what was my mother all about telling me to sit like a girl And how reducing is that about her telling me to sit like a girl? Because fuck that shit. I'm not trying to sit like a girl. I'm trying to sit like a human being. I want comfortability beyond being a girl. And if me putting my leg up is the most comfortable thing, you have to have a grip on yourself. And know that just because I put my leg up doesn't mean it's okay for me to go through any kind of abuse. And then now growing up and understand and understanding systems and, and, and the structures that we have in place. And I'm a very I'm a person who appreciates systems very much because I do know the world is a loony bin. All of us are lunatics. I don't if you're gonna be offended by that, I'm sorry, but I'm not trying not to offend you at the moment. And so like all of us being in a loony bin and all of us wanting what we want out of life. Systems are important because sometimes we need things done a certain type of way. And that's okay. But what if doing things a certain type of way is taking away from the human being that I am? Because I do believe we can have systems that don't have to take away from me. You can tell me, Mary-Lise, it's it's not okay to step on someone. And I'm supposed to understand, because someone has stepped on me before, right? And it was painful. Why would I not comprehend stepping on someone is wrong? That doesn't mean I should not walk. But we have systems that literally take away our right to work. As she was saying, systems that make sure... I mean, and for people who are scared of using words as they are to express things. For example, every conversation you have with people, my experiences inform this statement. You tell people, hi, my name is Mary Liz and I'm a lesbian. And literally the first thing they would go into is how do you have sex? And I'm like... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the world you live in, the only thing you saw when I told you I'm a lesbian is how I have sex. I do agree we are sexual beings, but we also do know it's only 10% of you humanity that contributes to your sexuality. You know that, right? 90% is your character. Your career informs your character. Your environment, your family, your all these things inform who you become, right? And those peop- things play a bigger role. But how is it that when it's lesbians, because trust me, I know, I know for sure there is no cis-sexual person who is asked by a queer person, how do you people have sex? I can bet on that even without a research. I can bet my freaking life on that, right? <laughs> um, the research Ask me. <laughs> and why wouldn't that make you angry? Because while even we live in a world where we fight all these systems that are set up to oppress us, Why wouldn't that make me angry? Because why is my humanity to you just about how I have sex? Am I trying to have sex with you? Do I even like you like that? Like, I know I'm a girl. (laughs) And I know when I'm talking to girls, there's an 80% chance I'm hitting on them. (laughs) (laughs) Or probably an 80% chance that I'm telling them they are hot. But can I tell them they are hot and not be hitting on them absolutely? And that doesn't mean every time I'm living my life, I'm I'm literally going to be a lesbian all my life, but everything I do doesn't revolve around me being a lesbian. And the reason we are forced into this system of wanting to say all the time you're a lesbian a a community of cis-heterosexual people who say, don't rub your sexuality on us. Dude, you hold hands everywhere. You have weddings on TV shows. What's not rubbing your sexuality on us? It's everything, right? And so I'm angry because we live in a world where there's a lot of shifting the goalposts, the double standards. They're just sitting in a room and being like, you know, if cis-heterosexual people are going to bring a plethora of shows on TV. We are gonna gather around. I'm a supporter of that system because I do watch Russia TV, and I mean, which Russia TV, which Russia TV doesn't have all that bullshit, right? But life is bullshit. It is a big bullshit, so I can as well take a chunk of bullshit and like kind of munch on it or whatever, right? And while I'm doing that, and I understand that, I have a responsibility to channel my anger and question, even when I'm looking at this. And we're speaking about our sexual lives. And simple things like pleasure to men is women being told you're glowing because you slept with a man recently. But to women, but to women, the guys would look at it at like, don't worry about Mary Lee, she slept with three guys. She's a hoe. Why wouldn't that make you angry? Because when I sleep with a man, he's gonna make me glow, but when he touches me, he's gonna take away my humanity. Fuck that shit! I don't want to live in that world. So I want to live in a sexual utopia where I can be in a world where I can reimagine what sexuality is like for me. And it's for for a species that sits top of the hierarchy of the ecosystem. We are doing a terrible job. Dogs, lions, wells dolphins, understand diversity better than we do and that's just, just some, some fucked up shit we are in pretty much. And that is very angering. Just like the potential of speaking to human beings every day because I'm a human being and by virtue of being a human who can talk, I have to talk to people who can talk my language, which explains a video I posted recently on my Instagram talking about brains and how somehow brains came together and realized we brains brain differently and they came up with different language and all of a sudden we have language barriers and now we are here. We don't understand each other. And when I go to a dolphin, all I have to do is become enough in an ocean and it will flip and I will see it. But a human being can't flip on a simple thing as understanding I'm a complete entity as Mary release, as a woman, as an unbinary person, as a human being. And I don't need to explain how I live the way I live unless it's hurting anyone, which it doesn't. So I'm angry because... We all need to be angry, and I hope for a day. I mean, I, I, I've I been angry all my life. People who have interacted with me know my anger, right? And recently, actually, currently is when I'm reading uh, The Seven Necessary Scenes uh, for Women and Girls by Mona El-Tahawi. And for the first time, I'm resonating with anger because... Resonating with anger in essence because Mona El-Tahawi really explains a scene where she was in Toronto in a club and a man gropes her. And because she's a a survivor, and uh, it may be wrong for me to use the term survivor, but for perspective here, she's a survivor of sexual abuse and someone groping her. And her just saying, fuck that shit, I'm going to be angry and I'm going to follow this man, trip him, he falls down, I'm going to sit on him and I'm going to beat him properly. And there's going to be a man besides me who understands that concept and is going to tell everyone, leave her alone. She has it covered. And she punched that man properly. I'm going to continue being angry. And I've punched a couple. And there is more to go. (laughs) And I am not going to be ashamed because until a time, like she was saying, that I need to own my body and it has to belong to no one else but myself. Yeah? I'm going to continue being angry. And sometimes it may look like punches. Sometimes it may look like protests. Sometimes it may look like me meeting you and not giving two shits about talking to you because you sit on the other side of why I'm angry. (laughs) Even banners can fly now. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm going to keep being angry until we all are free. I am going to keep on being angry until we
2: all are free. I think that's such a powerful sentence to end on. Thank you, Marie-Lise. And I think definitely as part of the motivation for us co-creating spaces like this, right, is our anger at the way the world is, our anger at, you know, the very basic and true information we get told about sex you know, And we're also motivated by love to create spaces like this where we can actually come together and chat. So I'm going to pose a question to my dear sister, fellow Jean, and then come to you. So I hope you're ready with your questions. And part of how I know fellow Jean is because of work she's done around the economy and thinking about economic realities from a feminist perspective and I think when we talk about sex, we also have to talk about money. Cha-ching! It's very important, isn't it? (laughs) So I want to ask, fellow Jean, I mean, I'm thinking of this song. I can't sing. Ain't nothing going on but the rent. You gotta have a J-O-B if you want to be with me. So my question to you, fellow Jean, it's what has money got to do with You know, sexual utopia, can you help us?
1: Yes. um, You know, economics and economy uh, is not a very sexy topic. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's intentional because that's how they exclude us from very important conversations. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how they silo our struggles because economic justice and liberation is a precondition to sexual liberation. And I'm going to talk about that in a bit. But I wanted us to take us down the memory lane because we've talked about lyrics. Huh? So I'm going to s- say certain words. I also can't sing like Nana. So I'm going to say certain words. And I want you guys to shout if you know the song and the person who sang it. Can we give it a go? Aye, can we give it a go? Okay, cool. <laughs> so the first one is no romance without finance. No romance without finance. As soon as you get it, just shout. Boy, nothing in this life is free. That's why I'm asking you, what can you do for me? I've got responsibilities, so I'm looking for a man who's got money in his hands. Does anybody know who that is? DJ? Broke <laughs> <we>? Boys? Pastor? <laughs> uh huh. What can you do for me? Mm hmm. Exactly, Gwen <laughs> Ain't nothing going on but the rent, huh? Well done. That's right. Okay. <laughs> okay, cut. I'm really, really enjoying themselves too much. The next one, I'm, I, I really hope people get this one. Can you pay my bills? Can you pay my telephone bills? <laughs> DJ! <laughs>
4: right.
1: This one. Okay. Cut. (laughs) (laughs) The after party, uh, we're going to have a performances. Uh, This is the plug to make that (laughs) announcement. (laughs) Okay, the second one. I mean, the third one. They can beg and they can plead, but they can't see the light. That's right. Because the boy with the cold, hard cash is always Mr. Right. Any takers? Any takers? You guys are in the struggle. You're not in there. <laughs> you don't know this song. Might as a struggle, <laughs> DJ. So Madonna. Yes, material girl. <laughs> Good. That's material girl, yes. <laughs> okay, now let's see the, the ones who are inside. If you know your pussy worth a band's truck, don't let homie fuck unless his hands up. Go to DR get that fat transfer. This must be it ain't <laughs> such a thing as a broke and handsome. <laughs> Cardi close that 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 crew. <laughs> no. DJ Crew crew yeah he close. Nicki right. Minaj.
4: Yo. Hey, yeah. Yeah <laughs> Mula. Yo. yeah. Yeah. Hey, yo know what these niggas like and it ain't my i ain't stupid this 250 on my arm
1: okay three more for those of you who haven't guessed now i'm making it easy <laughs> so that then we you know we have everybody <laughs> saying something okay oh makes me feel so lovely so sexy i'm so in love how i love him for his generosity my man my man my baby doesn't it feel like christmas <laughs> Doesn't it feel like Christmas? Doesn't feel like Christmas? Aya, Aya <laughs> <Ay-ya>, DJ, <laughs> and Christmas is next month, eh? Oh, it No, not so <laughs> You
3: know
1: Christmas? That's right, Destiny's Child. Eight days of Christmas
0: that's the one down to the last two
1: while he was scheming I was beaming and the beamer just (laughs) can't believe that I caught my man cheating so I found another way to make him pay for it all so I went to Nelman Marks on a shopping spree and on the way I grabbed Soli and Mia and as the cash box rang I thought everything away. That's right.
0: <laughs> While he was scheming I was dreaming, in the beamer just a demon Can't believe that I called my man cheating So I found another way
1: <laughs> i know and then f- and then finally no i don't want no scrub yeah. a scrub is a guy the-
0: <laughs>
1: finally finally <laughs> yes dj the final one <laughs> what I know, I mean that we can we can create a
0: place.
1: Also <laughs> known as a
0: bus always
3: checking out what he wants and just sits <up>. on his broken ass No. I don't want your number now. I don't
4: wanna give you mine and no. I don't wanna meet you nowhere now. I don't want a nail time and no. I
1: don't want to sana So what has money got to do with all of it? (laughs) Okay, so I've been advised that we should crowdsource a playlist because I've left out some songs, you know, but uh, I also have to speak to the point, so I I won't go through the whole list. But uh, coming back to your question, Nana, what has money got to do with it? I want to say nothing and everything. Um, Nothing, because in sexual utopia, I hope that money will not be valued as it is in our current system, yeah. our current capitalist system. Mm. And for us to understand that, then we have to know that our current capitalist system has everything to do with money, mm. whether we know it, whether we don't know it. Um, secondly, I want to say that all the struggles are connected. Yes. So while you're in deep working on sexual liberation struggles, you know, whether it's policy legislation, whether it's reclaiming your body, whether it's rejecting the state um, you know, and reminding the state that you're there, All this is connected to everybody else who's fighting for the environment, who's fighting for a different economic justice system. A lot of things that uh, especially come up, uh, and I'm trying to step down the economic justice conversation because I think it's important for us to realize that the four most important things in this system and what capitalism values is Mm labor, is capital, which is money, is entrepreneurship, which is a new thing, right? And we have also been co-opted in that struggle because then we are like, we want to enterprise. I mean... We want to enterprise around our sexual liberation, right? And then finally land. And where the intersection is between sexual justice struggles and economic justice struggles is materially on conversations of labor. And that is what you're hearing in those songs. They seem bravado, you know, at first. Because you're like, "Mm, my money, my body, my... But basically it's a cry against, pushing back against a system that is exploiting us. And the more you're exploitative in the capitalist system, the more it rewards you. And the less you're exploitative, the more you're oppressed. And so this is why we have struggles like sex work and trying to justify why sex work is work. This is why we have conversations around ethics, access, accountability for services. Be it access to safe abortion, be it access to hormonal replacement treatments for folks in transition. It's because this is where the sexual justice and and economic justice struggles collide. And it's so important for us to make this central to our organizing, and especially in the coming days when we talk about sexual utopia, to always surface this. Because it is actually a precondition for us to be liberated. Um, Finally, I also just wanted to say that the thing about um, the economics conversation, again, we like to say that, that it's so pale, so ill, and so stale. Meaning it's just old white men who are there. Mm. And so how do we think we can reclaim this space, right, without necessarily being incorporated in the system? And so for me, when you ask me, what is the role of money in a sexual utopia? It's for it to be collective. For it not to be used to commodify our bodies. For it not to be used as a way of getting profit, right? If by show of hands, um, what you have on today, you think is really about your self autonomy. And you woke up today and you're like, there's nobody who has influenced how I'm going to show up at this event. Just show me by uh, hands. Okay, uh, you think so? (laughs) Because the other other most powerful entity is corporations, right? And so the advertising, I mean, I would even push back. It's a very, you know, old debate and conversation. But in our African culture, do you think we would show up (laughs) to this conversation in this way? Mm -hmm. Do we? Not necessarily. And I'm not romanticizing our African culture and how we dressed, but the subtle ways that the economic system works to commodify you to make profits off of your body, to make profits off of your struggles. When you talk about, you know, access to pleasure, the sexual industry making uh, toys and, you know, pro- um, co-opting our language is so, is so rife. They're making so much money. And the more we shout about pleasure with our utopia, in fact, that's the other thing. But everything we are fronting here, neoliberalism, Corporations are so happy to, b- to bring and see how can we make sales out of this? Yeah, yeah. How, can we ma- how can we pride our calendar? Yeah, yeah. You know how can, we, how can we add this kind of groups and star? Yeah. And so for us, we also have to be very, very careful because then again, our liberation can also be co-opted, depoliticized. Yeah. And so how are we also protecting everything that we do? So thank you.
4: <laughs> yeah. um, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Oh, my God. You people are so breathtaking. I am so happy to be amongst you all. (laughs) Um, So my name is Sonia. And um, my question to all of you, and especially the panel, is that do you find that there's a little bit of a misconception as African queer that when you go abroad, you're going to be into this whole different um, side of being part of the LGBTQ community and that it's going to be amazing, it's going to be fantastic you're going to be welcomed with open arms when actually it's not necessarily the case for a lot of times so is that a misconception that you find amongst yourselves or amongst a lot of the uninformed queer people?
2: So we'll take a couple of questions, so maybe there are two more questions
0: um, Hello everyone hi the panel you are
5: amazing you guys are looking at am- me your, your voices literally they're speaking life to me so <laughs> thank you so much I have a question actually for all of you do you and okay the panel do you think there is a fine line between sexual liberation and promiscuity mm.
4: uh, it, it's, okay. it's get the pressure is getting we're worse, up. worse up. <laughs> one last question one last question
3: hi thank you uh, good afternoon really excited to be here my question for the panelists and anyone in the audience as well is this intersection of sexuality and disability mm. um if anybody can speak to that um, from experience or any work that you do in that space
2: brilliant and i have to say i also love the people were like the questions are for the panelists and also the audience Because for me, that acknowledges that the knowledge is like collective within all of us and not necessarily everybody on the panel can speak to everything. So we'll do our best, but we'll also go to the audience um, if they may have responses to some of these questions. Okay, so the first question was, as an African queer person, will the world be better when you're outside of Africa, maybe in the West? Shall we start with you, Marie-Lise?
5: So, I think one of the things we need to recognize, first of all, is the magnitude of abuse the system we are in met on us. And when we recognize that, it's in that moment then we can learn to extend the grace of queer people are allowed to shape a reality of whatever calling for them regardless of what people think. Now, that does not negate the fact that just because you go, for example, to a country and use uh, a country like Canada, right? Just because you go to a country like Canada doesn't mean everything will be rosy. Everyone has a different story to tell. We have people who go and it's easy for them. They kind of get integrated into the system and uh, they can even continue to do their work as if they were human rights activists, for example, here. They can be able to be human rights activists on, like, from that level, right? But also you have to understand, as Philegine was breaking down the systems and and, and capitalism and all that kind of stuff, regardless of where you go in the world, you're still a a source of labor, right? You're gonna, if you won't continue paying taxes in this country, you will start paying taxes in a new country lucky for you if you're not in a country that colonized you because then that will, be, will mean you paying taxes to your colonizer which is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> but you're gonna do it anyway because <laughs> hello right yeah. yeah but but essentially the picture i want to paint is as queer people we need to recognize if the system wasn't bad no one wants to leave home No one wants to leave home. Whatever home looks looks like for for you, right? No one wants to leave home. Because here in Kenya, right now I'm speaking English. It's because uh, we do acknowledge that the people in the audience of this festival are not just Kenyans. And so English is somewhat a language. And I'm saying somewhat because just because it's English doesn't mean it's first language for everyone. But at least we can all, you know, kind of align ourselves with that. But after here the comfort of me being a Kenyan is that I can get into any entertainment area. I can get into, well, I'm not a believer. I wanted to say church, but I realized, fuck that. But um, I could get into any place and and be like speaking Swahili, and chances of me being understood is up to 80% of that, right? And that in itself is comfortability. That itself is privilege. That itself is everything that I wouldn't get if I left this country today. But we also need to know, in the spirit of, Owning ourselves and belonging to ourselves. I have not felt like I belong to Kenya for almost six years now. I've not felt like I belong to Kenya. I've not felt like I belong to my tribe. I've not felt like I belong to my family. I've not felt, even, dare I say, the larger queer community, I've not felt like I belong to the larger queer community. I belong to parts of the queer community, but not all of them. And I loved what you say. Go where you loved, go where you celebrated. I've had to learn the most painful parts of that journey. That just because I'm queer doesn't mean I'll enter any room full of queer people and I'll be loved and celebrated. Does that mean it's okay? No. But is it happening? Yes. Do I learn then to extend the grace to even these queer people who are not appreciating me, seeing me, celebrating me, and loving me? Yes, I extend that grace, but that doesn't mean I should extend grace and sit there while I'm being trampled over. You get And so we need to recognize that there is a very, like, while one thing is 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 wrong because the biggest I'm doing here is really colonialism and capitalism, and I don't want to l- us to look at them from a point of being colonized. I want us to look at them uh, uh, from a point of neo neo-coloni- neo-colonization and neo because yes, the world taught us capitalism, but who's the first person who will exploit you <laughs> the person who you know who runs a personal business? and sells you a wig for 10K, which is a fake human hair wig. Mm-hmm. That there is how, mm-hmm. yeah, so mm-hmm. pretty much in that angle. So extend grace for people and let people choose what their reality looks like.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. And on the subject of choosing what your reality looks like, in. I'm not trying to say anything about you or I, <laughs> <laughs> but what's the difference between promiscuity and sexual liberation, and is there a difference? And does it even
4: matter? Does it even matter? Um, so I think the word or the concept of promiscuity assumes that there is an appropriate level of shared sexual contact that every human being should abide by. And that anything beyond that level is excessive, Right. And I don't think that there's any such thing as a standard anything for all people. So when it comes to sexual expression, sexual contact, sexual pleasure, I think it's entirely subjective. That being said, I do know that because we're so undereducated about sex and about desire and about sensuality and about intimacy, that... A lot of people, in the attempt to reclaim or to assert their ownership of their sexuality, then begin to have sexual experiences with a large number of people without necessarily identifying what is good for them. Right? So I think the difference between sexual liberation and, and promiscuity which we delegitimized in the first place, but the, the the important thing here is knowing what is good for you, knowing what is actually pleasurable for you. And and I say, I'm thankful to be a queer woman because I feel like there is more safety within queer spaces for sexual expression than, than within cisgender heterosexual spaces, right? Because there's this weird value assignation to, if a woman has sex with a man, then she's lost her. What was the thing? She, the, she's glowing because the man has released in her, but her value as a human being has diminished. And then, you know, like th- they'll be in their group chat talking about the fact that three of them fucked you. It's like, no, I fucked three of you. <laughs> like, Period. let's be clear. The pussy is banging. All y'all want is some. I'm a generous queen. There you fucking go. Right? <laughs> um, Period. Period. But you must, I think it's important to also understand that if you're having sexual encounters with people who fundamentally do not or cannot respect you, who do not or cannot see your humanity, who do not prioritize your pleasure, your safety, your well-being, who don't understand that you may be bringing trauma to the experience, that you yourself are only approaching your own pleasure, somebody who's not willing to co-create a beautiful experience for you, then maybe it's not liberation yet. Yet. But it's a journey. And I think people deserve grace on the journey. And the more we learn about what's good for us, the more we can look back and be like, maybe I shouldn't have been such a generous queen to these (laughs) dusty-ass (laughs) niggas. It is what it is.
2: (laughs) And so I have been told, I was told five minutes ago I had five minutes. (laughs) I'm asking for another five minutes. So I'm going to like answer the question around the connection between sex and disability very, very quickly. Um, I'm also an author of a book called The Sex Lives of African Women. And so I interviewed people from different, different backgrounds. And I think the connection between sex and disability is so, so, so important for many reasons, right? So one of the issues that especially women with disabilities have spoken to me about is how they can be desexualized. Somebody assumes you have a disability, and so it means you can't have sex, or you don't enjoy sex, or they ask, do you have sex? Can you have sex? Which is totally dehumanizing. People with disabilities, like everybody else, have the rights to a pleasurable sex life. And we shall be talking about that throughout this day as well. And so you will get more insight on this. So this is just my little snippet of a response. But I have two questions I want to close with. And I want to ask you, Kosia, you know, you are also an artistic activist. How can we use the power of the arts and culture to imagine and co-create sexual utopias?
3: Um, I Thank you for that question. I feel like art art is life art is everything the reason why we are sitting here and enjoying this an artist you know planned how this should look like the color of the sexual utopia that's written there the matching color with the lights you know the artwork at the back you know all of it is deliberate because it's to play with your senses right it's it's life period so when it when it comes to how important art is very important i think it's the heart of it and erotic art has been with, with human beings from the beginning of human, human life on earth, you know, from the hieroglyphics um, of fornicating ancient Egyptians, you know, the Kama Sutra. Um, um, the, is it the Shunga in Japan? Um, the, the Kama Sutra. Everyone, whenever we think about that, we are thinking about bodies that are distorted and crazy things. But it's, 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 a, it's a Sanskrit text. It's a holy text that is trying to teach you how to incorporate the sexual art into everything in life. So apart from learning the sex bit that we know, you're actually supposed to learn 64 other arts, which even include magic and sorcery. It includes learning science. It includes um, how to have social interaction, how to, you know, throw a party and have rich conversation, how to conversate. You know, all of these things, they see it as part of the lead up to and also part of how you live your life. So it is... The art it is the art of living, and and when you when you um, fully master that, in a sense, you've ascended to being a high quality human being. You know, um, a, a, a an ascended being. Period. So for me, I feel like art is very very important. And to say that, let me let me shout out. Our artist for the cover art for Adventures Live. So we have um, cover art here that was that was illustrated by a young artist called Aya, and um, this was her depiction of sexual utopia. This is her depiction from her mind. uh, You said something dope. Our brains brain differently, you know, and that's the thing about art because our brains brain differently, and how every artist can brain. The imagination of this sexual life, this sexuality is amazing. It, it it opens, it's a kind of um like release for you um in your own imagination. So please, when you have a chance and you can come closer, please come and also uh, you know, I admire this this cover art by Aya. She's done her and own. Aya is like 16 years She's 16 old. Malika, how years Aya? old
2: Aya? 16. That's Malaika's baby who yeah. did the art.
3: Co-founder of Adventures. You know, so let me let me just wrap up with 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 the, with the with the points so one um, art is important because it challenges rep- repressive sexual norms um, where where we see the bachelor where we see you know heterosexual um, relationships mainstreamed with my art I can portray queer art you know for instance it's unapologetically queer it's explorative it plays with the senses like i said is a, is a space for reimagining and it is also very inclusive of persons with disability so in a brief This is what art is. It's life, period. Thanks.
2: Art is life. Art is life. And I think part of what's really important as a tool when we're thinking of the art is the power of the imagination, right? And I think it's important for us to all imagine. And so for if you were to imagine a sex-positive African feminist future, you know, where we're just like all reveling in this (laughs) sexual utopia... What would that be like? What would you see? What would you feel? What would you hear?
1: Wow, okay. So first of all, I, I have to plug my favorite quote because you talk about artists by Tony Kambabara. She says, the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. And I'm like, listen. <laughs> so I, I definitely think that even this question should have gone to an artist. But, uh <laughs> but I, for me, when I imagine um, a sex-positive African future, utopia... I imagine expansion rather than inclusion. I imagine adventure. I imagine play. I love mangoes. And so when you get a well, yeah, a ripe, juicy, and then it's dripping, I imagine the annoying that the season will come again. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I'm enjoying, I'm present, but it's it's, it's here, it's now, it's going to be, it's guaranteed, you know, in the future. An orgasm, okay? (laughs) And so, yeah, I definitely feel... That it's even difficult, and it's not fair, to describe a sexual... I think there's space for sexual utopias, and we will all find our place Mm -hmm. in what that is, and we don't have to describe it. Perhaps the artist can artist it for us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I also feel like utopia shouldn't have to be described in words. Less Mm -hmm. less colonial, especially not colonial language, because I also think a lot of the things that we embody and we experience get lost, die halfway when we're trying to give them words, right? And so we would be okay with the experience without having to quantify, qualify what that looks like. The last thing I wanted to say was, the person who was talking about, and this is because I'm passionate about economic justice, is that a golden cage is, not a, is still a cage. Yeah. So don't buy into the lie that I can buy my way out of oppression. Yeah. You have even gone to Canada. Some people are like, I just need to move from Kaloleni to Gigiri and I'll be safe with my sexuality. Please don't buy into that. I think all of us, we need to get rid of this cage that we are in. And it actually begins with our feminist imagination because that's where they police it. They police your imagination, they give you alternatives as I can escape, I can persevere, I can silence myself. But I think we need to have more spaces like this and to continue to expand our feminist imagination. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah. Give it up for my incredible panel. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. If you see us, come chat to us. If you fancy us, come flat with us. <laughs> Thank you, everybody.
0: Thank you all so much for tuning in. Make sure you catch us for more of the Sexual Utopia Festival panel discussions in episodes to come. And please don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are at the spread pod across the board. Till next time. Good baby for you i want you to take it cuz i know I found something special so i just wanna lay <laughs> down my body and just expose myself to you oh baby so lay down your body and just expose yourself to me too cuz i want your love will give me love make my dream a reality
1: I'm